Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. What would life be like without color? Keith? Very drab place to live, right, Keith? Anyone top that? Yeah, it's amazing. Life without color would be what? Dull. Now, no offense, is. I don't even want to ask. Somebody's probably colorblind here today, and you're thinking, yeah, thanks, buddy, rubbing it in. But color, just a minute, Keith. Yeah. Color is amazing, isn't it? I mean, without color, what would we see? Color is such a gift from God. It's, I think we should pause and just think about that for a moment. Life without color. Everywhere we look, color declares God's creativity. Creation's goodness, and though we only see kind of a fraction of the light on the spectrum, what we do see is pretty amazing, don't you think? Do you even know how your eyes see color? I thought, just to freshen you up from science class, we'd remind ourselves of just how amazing it is that we can see color at all. Look at Life Noggin. Hey there, welcome to Life Noggin. I may be a completely blank animation, but that doesn't mean I still can't appreciate a colorful painting every now and again. But when I look at that painting, how can I actually see its colors? To answer that, let's take a look at the electromagnetic spectrum. Because light is both a particle and a wave, it has a wavelength. And in the visible portion of the spectrum, those wavelengths correspond to a particular color of light. Sadly, humans and animations like myself can only see a tiny sliver of the entire spectrum, but we'll take what we can get. An important fact about light is that it can reflect off things and get absorbed. For example, let's think about eating a nice crisp apple on a warm day. The white light from the sun that's hitting the apple can be broken down into all the wavelengths of visible light. However, most of the colors except red are absorbed by the apple. The red light is reflected off the apple surface and reaches our eyes, causing us to perceive the apple as being red. The color is essentially just a sensation. The back of our eye, called the retina, contains two different types of light receptors, and these are called cones and rods. The cones are responsible for color, while the rods are responsible for our dark adaptive vision at night. The rods are so insensitive to color that they can't even see red. In fact, this is why astronomers and sailors use red light at night. It doesn't affect their already dark adapted eyes so they can still see clearly. But going back to the cones, we have three types. Red, green, and blue. This may sound strange to you because in elementary school you learned that the primary colors were red, yellow, and blue. Well, I hate to break it to you, but that's a lie. For light, the primary colors are red, green, and blue. We call these additive colors because if we add them together by shining different colored lights on a wall, the closer to white we'll get. And if we mix varying amounts of red, green, and blue light, we can make any possible color, including pink, my favorite, which doesn't actually show up anywhere in the visible spectrum. As usual, I'll be answering a new question every Thursday, so... Hey, life... Life without color would be terribly dull. We'd miss so much of the beauty, I think the joy, the clarity, the knowledge. And life would be more dangerous without color, right? Stoplights, anyone? Snake bites, anyone? Color keeps us safe. Now, I know maybe 
the snakes aren't so, such a relevant thing for us here, but I know that's true in other parts of the world. Color helps us know what something is, how to respond to it. If it weren't for the green color of mold, you would regret that bite of toast you took last week, right? <laughs> Colors warn us. Colors keep us safe. Colors help us know what something is, where it is. Colors identify. And when colors come together, they create a palette. Does anyone know what a color palette is? Hands up. Anyone? Oh, wow. Well, look at that. For reasons that are way beyond my aesthetic prowess, there are certain colors that go well together. Some of you really know this stuff. I know. You're, you, you're knowledgeable about this, while others of us are, are not, and certain colors do not go together. If we dress in the dark and we find out later, oh my goodness, that did not go well together. I stand in front of all the color swatches in front of some department store, home builders or whatever, and I wonder, who figured all this stuff out? Anyone? Should we take a gender poll right now and see who thinks that more than others? Who figured all this stuff out? I I don't know. As it turns out, I stand in front of this and I think, there really is a right and wrong in this world. And there it is, all on display in the paint aisle. (laughs) Certain colors are calming. Certain colors are seductive. Certain colors, as it turns out, are just downright demonic. Colors affect our mood, our perception, even our appetite. And when they're put together, certain colors trigger recognition and response. Oh, look at that. Like John Deere green and yellow trigger certain farmers. Yeah, to spend money. They probably shouldn't. Uh, Home Depot's orange triggers my wife, Tennille. She loves Renault's. Uh, And Starbucks green and white, well, that just triggers me, I guess. Is there anyone else? Yep. Colors. Why are we talking about colors when we're here in the book of Acts, this story about the early community of Jesus, and we should be talking about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and all that. What's with colors? Well, just for today, I want to suggest that our Christian witness forms a color palette. Colors that are suggestive. Colors that trigger recognition and response to everyone who sees them. We're continuing our Acts story, and today's episode in the life of the early church, we're going to get a sense of what makes Christian witness actually Christian. All along, we've been asking a key interpretive question. Remember that the question was, we're trying to ask this as we're going through Acts, and I hope you're doing that in your small groups and even in your conversations. We want to ask as we're going through Acts, how is the Holy Spirit fulfilling the promise that Jesus made back in chapter 1 that they'd be his witnesses? How is the Holy Spirit fulfilling that promise in this particular episode, in this particular moment in the life of the church. We want to keep asking that question. Helps us understand what's going on in Acts, and then in turn, helps us understand what's going on in our own lives. Well, we've been asking that question, but but what are the core elements of that witness? Like, what makes up witness, as opposed to just chatting with your buddies? What What is witness, as opposed to just kind of normal life? Or to keep going with the analogy, what colors form the palette? Of Christian witness. Well, I'm going to read the portion in Acts today with very little comment, but as I do, I'm going to start to draw out the colors of our witness as they occur, and then we'll try to pull it together. I do want to, I hope, take some time for questions today, so be thinking, uh, what does this spark in you? All right, what are the colors of Christian witness? I have them here in this wicker box. Ooh, let's see if this works. Oh, there we go. We are in Acts chapter 5, and it's following the story of Ananias' fire. We looked at that last week, all about generosity. A couple of weeks we've been looking at that. And now, uh, 
Luke just kind of pulls back a bit and we get another kind of aerial view. So here, here starts in, in verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Kind of a balcony portion in the temple area. Pretty obvious out there in the open. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. All right, our first color is up. I'll keep going. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of of Israel, there would be 70 of them, and, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officer did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing the report... The captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came in and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You do remember who sentenced Jesus to death, right? It was the same guys. Okay, all right. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, A teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the man be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men called to rally to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. 
After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day by day, day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Did you see the palette emerge? <laughs> now, I'm not saying you all want to rush out and paint your houses this color, these colors. Although, could I suggest that if you did, you would be noticed? <laughs> In fact, you might even get some response from neighbors. I, I, I think everyone might be triggered by a house this color. Try it. Let us know how it goes. How does this color palette distinguished Christian witness. That's what we're going to look. Well, the first color on the palette is the color orange. Why? Because all witness, all Christian witness, is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, orange has been a color that's been associated through Christian history with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Down through the story of God's people, flame or fire was a popular sign of God's presence among His people. And here in Acts, at the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, it came along with not only the sound of a violent wind, but something that looked like flames of fire, right? Tongues of fire resting on the people's heads. The Holy Spirit sits at the very center of the church because he has come to live in us. We've talked about that a number of times as we've been exploring Acts because it is essential that we understand that our life together, our worship, our generosity, our caring, our study, our prayer, our fellowship, our service, and our witness is all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, in this little opening transi- uh, transitional section that we read, kind of it kind of bridges what happened with Ananias Sapphira, and then what happens with, um, you know, the apostles being hauled up in front of Sanhedrin. It kind of gives another, uh, kind of a bigger view of what's going on in the community. Luke's done that a number of times. Well, in this section, we're given, a, we're given insight into what's, what, what the Holy Spirit is doing, particularly through the apostles, empowering them to bring healing to the world. Um, there's something going on that's awe-inspiring for people, and even a bit strange, Right? And though it's a little bit of a weird sentence, though people are afraid to be associated with them, there's also people joining them every day. It's evoking a lot of response. And people are coming to place their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, and they are then receiving in themselves the promised Holy Spirit. As it were, they are blazing up orange. Orange represents our identity as God's spirit people. 
Because God has come to live in us, we are now His house. We are His temple. We are His body. And as I've said before, and I will say it again, this is true, first of all, of us as a people. Secondly, of us as individuals. I say that with such emphasis because we have a habit of reading it backwards. We have a habit of saying, well, because the Holy Spirit lives in me individually, when I get together, then we are God's house. That's actually not scripturally true. It's not what the Bible teaches What it shows is that we as the people of God are filled with the Spirit of God. Therefore, by extension, we as individuals who follow Jesus are also filled with the Spirit of God. He's come to live in us. Not only is the Holy Spirit like a flame that never goes out, but in some beautiful, mysterious way, the Holy Spirit draws us up into the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are, as it were, living in God. And this changes our identity. This fundamentally alters the way we understand ourselves, who we actually are, the fact that God lives in us. That's why there's lots of metaphors used in the Bible, but one big one is that we are new creations in Christ. That somehow the new creation has pushed up through the cracks of old creation, kind of like that dandelion that won't quit, right? has pushed up through the cracks of old creation, and it's signaling to everyone that God intends to make all things new. Even in the midst of a broken world where there's still suffering and grief, there's signs of new creation. The Holy Spirit is at work, coming to live in people's lives, and coming to transform, and so the new creation is breaking through the old. Our identity as God's Spirit people forms the real center, the heartbeat of our witness. When we think about Christian witness, it flows from the Holy Spirit, the fact that God is present among us. And yes, we still struggle, we still sin, we still need to repent, and we still need to let the Holy Spirit in to continue working in us. But there's something real going on. We are learning together under the coaching of the Holy Spirit how to love one another more, how to be part of God's new family, how to, how to offer healing and, and forgiveness. It, it changes how we think about who we are and what we care about and why we gather and what we fill our minds with and, and why we meet and why we praise as well as share and care and pray. And, and this Holy Spirit's work in us is something that ripples out from us, ripples out from the community, the people of God, ripples out to those who are poor and needy, not just physically, not just, not just economically, but relationally and spiritually. There's, a, there's some newness that's going out to people as God's new creation flows. So friends, all Christian witness flames up orange. Orange is at the center. Our current president of the denomination, he, he has been talking the last year quite, quite constantly about how the Holy Spirit is the blazing center of our mission as a church. And that's exactly true. And it's what we see here in Acts. As God's people empowered by the Holy Spirit, we flame up orange. There's no Christian witness without the Spirit's presence and power. Well, the second color in the witness palette is white. Now, I know some of you color purists are going to cry foul that white's not really a color. In fact, all the colors are somehow in white. Do you understand that? Do you understand that all the colors are in white? There's a spiritual metaphor in there that I'm not going to develop. But if anyone wants to run with it, go ahead. This represents Jesus. This represents sharing the good news of new life in Christ. And, and for those of you who are still stuck on the fact that white's not a color, have you ever been in the paint aisle? Have you ever seen how many whites there really are? 
It's very disconcerting to someone who grew up thinking there was white and there was nothing, you know, other colors. There's a lot of whites out there. Well, this white represents the risen, exalted Jesus, represents his purity, represents his brightness, represents his beauty and his holiness, and it reveals this other core element of Christian witness. Christian witness always shares the good news of new life in Christ. In uh, 520, the angel breaks the apostles out of jail, remember? Says, go stand in the temple courts and tell everybody what? Tell everybody that you've been done wrong. Tell everybody that you want a new car. I don't know. Tell everybody that you have an idea. No. Go and tell everybody about this new life. And later on, when they're hauled up in front of the authorities, Peter makes his short speech to them all about Jesus. All about what God has done through Christ and what he's now doing by the Holy Spirit. God, our, God of our ancestors, raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed. God exalted him to the right hand as prince and savior so that he can bring repentance and forgiveness. We are all witnesses as those of the Holy Spirit. You know, he, every time the apostles open their mouth, they're sharing about Jesus with others. They cannot talk about anything else. They're constantly proclaiming the good news of new life in Christ. Witness is white. And we not, we gotta never lose sight of that. It's easy, I think, sometimes to get distracted by many different things. And even when we are compelled by the Holy Spirit, which we are, we will be, compelled by the Holy Spirit to speak out about a certain injustice, or to speak out against a particular evil, to speak prophetically, perhaps against the evil of human trafficking or even the, the, the difficult reality of domestic abuse. We do that because of who we are as spirit people. We do that because of who Jesus is and what he has done and how he loves us and he desires all people to experience his life, his forgiveness. Christian witness shines white with the beauty of Jesus, both in how we live and in what we say. It's word and deed integrated every step of the way, just as we've been seeing through Acts. We live as Jesus' spirit people. We speak as Jesus' spirit people. But speaking is crucial. You've all heard the saying, right? Preach the gospel at all times if necessary, use words. You all heard that one? Here's a new one. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use memes. I thought it was funny. You're all saying, I saw that three weeks ago on Facebook. That wasn't funny. It wasn't funny then. I like the sentiment, not necessarily this, but I like the sentiment. Preach the gospel all times, if necessary, use words. I like it because it does remind us uh, when hypocrisy is rampant, people like, don't tell me another thing. Let me see it in your life. And I get that. You've heard me before. I really, really believe in that. But preaching the gospel will always require us to use words. Remember the pattern we've been seeing emerge through Acts? It's all over the place. That God works, that people wonder, and the church witnesses. We see this pattern happen over and over and over again. God works, somebody's healed, there's something happening, like even in this case. Uh, and then people go, whoa, what's going on? And then somebody steps in to say, let me tell you what's going on. There's this guy named Jesus. This happens over and over again throughout Acts. That's because... The work of God among us is not always self-evident. We might think it should be, but it's not. Even in the story of Acts as we see it develop, somebody has to step forward and make the connection between what's happening and Jesus. To make it understandable, the church needs to speak. I put a longer quote in your bulletin, but let me read it. 
is from Tom Wright. He reminded us that explanation is always needed. He said, from the very beginning, the apostolic faith has been something that demands to be explained, that needs to be taught. There's much to say because people fill their heads with all kinds of half-truths or downright untruths. Things need to be spelled out carefully, step by step, who Jesus was and is, what God did through him, how it all drew to its head, the long scriptural story of God's people, what it all meant in terms of the long-awaited kingdom of God. Without words to guide it, faith wanders in the dark and can easily fall over a cliff. The angels didn't just get the apostles out of prison. They were given specific instructions for an urgent continuing task. Go and speak to the people about all the words of this life. Jesus promised that the Spirit would make us His witnesses. White's the color of that witness. Well, let's add another color to the palette. Let's add the color blue, which represents, I don't know if this is royal blue or not. It was the closest I could get. Uh, royal blue. But it represents God's authority because Christian witness always operates under God's authority. When these apostles are confronted by the powers and commanded to stop talking about Jesus, stop it with the good news about resurrection, stop, Jesus responds as a man under God's authority. He says, we must obey God rather than human beings. They are repeating themselves at this point because back in chapter 4, they were hauled up then. Remember, they were hauled up. This is why they said, we already told you guys to stop talking. They were hauled up then. They were threatened for the first time by the same guy, same religious thugs. And at that time, Peter and John said, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. Blue is the color of royal authority, and it reminds us that our Christian witness, that true Christian witness, always operates under God's highest authority. Now, to operate under God's authority doesn't mean that we, uh, you know, call for anarchy or that we try to undermine or that we're, you know, just be bad citizens. The teaching in the New Testament is actually quite clear that governmental authorities are to be respected, that they're somehow ordained by God, even if at times we wonder how that works. It's still there. That as Christians, we're supposed to submit to the human authorities of the state, which means that we support and pray for the governments, that we that includes paying our taxes, even when we think it's more than it should be. It includes living within the laws of the nation. It includes, for us, blessed to live in a democratic nation, that we also hold our governments accountable, particularly when they're harming the vulnerable. That is, we submit until the obedience that God requires conflicts directly with the obedience the state demands. When that happens, we have to remember where our highest authority lies. We have to remember the color blue. That when conflict arises, we don't just take up arms to undermine or start terrorizing. No, we actually simply say, well, I see what you're saying, but I actually have different orders. I have a higher authority. I just, I'm going to keep loving people with the way that Jesus has called me to by telling them about Jesus. And if you want to stop me, go ahead and try, but I've got my job to do. We march to the beat of a different drum, which takes us at times into direct conflict, out of step, as it were, with the powers that be. And so then we have to take the heat when it comes. Operating under God's authority means that when powers resist us, it will lead us to the next color of our witness, which is the color of red. Now, 
liturgically and in the life of the church, red has often represented the color of Christ's passion. But it's also the color of martyrdom. It's the color of suffering. And what we see here is that Christian witness is always joyful in suffering. Suffering joyfully for Christ. When we find ourselves crushed between the authority of God, the witness He's given us, the responsibility He's given us to the church, and the threat of the state, whatever that looks like, then we suffer. We bleed. We die. I mean, I'm speaking collectively in history and us as, a, as Christians around the world today. We receive in ourselves the very suffering of Christ. We keep under God's authority. We keep following the crucified Messiah. And we bear in our own bodies, in our own lives, in our own uh, finances, and our own families, we bear the brunt of that choice. The brunt of the fact that we are operating under the higher authority of God. And we do so joyfully. This is Christian witness. Did you hear how these first uh, Christians viewed their flogging? Remember, flogging is brutal business. It would have taken them weeks to recover from this flogging. Forty lashes minus one, right? This is hard business. And yet, when they were done being flogged, did they whimper and cry out? Well, maybe while they were being flogged, they did. Hey, I would have. Did they raise their voices in anger to God? How could you, God? You know, we're your people. How could you let us suffer? Is that what they did? Did they seek pity from others? Did they run and hide? Did they start bad-mouthing the Sanhedrin? Did they decide, this witnessing in public thing is a bad idea. Could you come home for lunch? Could we do this in a less conspicuous place? This whole idea of meeting on Solomon's colonnade, like dumb, dumb idea. We're standing right in front of the religious authorities and talking about Jesus. Maybe we could go for a, you know, more of a hidden spot, kind of down in a corner somewhere where we wouldn't really disturb anyone. Is that what they did? No. They left the Sanhedrin, get this, rejoicing that they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And friends, that challenges me deeply. I do not feel that way. Do you? When I get in trouble for doing the thing I'm supposed to do as a witness to Jesus, I want a little bit of pity from you. Thank you very much. Do you? Or at least I want people to notice and think I'm a pretty awesome guy. I do not go first to the fact that, thank you, Jesus. I am so happy, Jesus, that finally I was able to get alongside you and feel a bit of what you felt. That is not my automatic response. Confession time. But Christians through history have suffered disgrace joyfully. They're not suffering because they've been rude or arrogant or dumb, disrespectful. When Christians, both in the time of Jesus through history and even now, when they begin to equate their suffering with their stupidity because they've been idiots, I don't have a lot of patience, I'm sorry. The Jesus that we follow and we witness to, the suffering, loving, lay his life down for others, take it on the chin, show others the love of Christ through our very suffering. He flavors our words. He flavors our lives with the same grace and generosity. And true Christian witness bleeds red because it bears the cruciform shape of Christ. Well, what happens here? We're actually going to see again and again this happen throughout the story of Acts. But does the church fold under pressure? Does persecution and harm just kind of kill it here in verse chapter 5 and that's it? Obviously not. 
In fact, what we discover through Acts, what we discover through church history is that the suffering of the church for Jesus amplifies the witness of the church to Jesus. This is true every time. One early Christian, a man named Tertullian, he told his Roman persecutors, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. The more you mow us down, the more we grow. The seed is the blood of Christians. Christian witness bleeds red, whether that's when powers are overtly persecuting, whether that's when we simply bear indignities or shame or rejection because we're always telling people about Jesus. We're always living a life following Jesus. And we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world who live in difficult circumstances where they are persecuted on a daily level. But we do that together as we pray and hope, knowing that it's through Christian suffering that people see Christ. That's a hard thing to hear, but it's true. However it happens, the challenge for me, I walk away, one of the things from today's passage is, will I count my suffering as an honor? Will I reorient the way I even think? Because i be honest here, I, I'm kind of upset when things don't go right even in my life. And I think, God, come on, you know, do your part. I've been... I've been like doing the thing you told me to do. And does anyone else feel like that? And so I'm really challenged by this, that I begin to have a reorientation around any difficulty that I experience because I follow Jesus, that I begin to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm joyful about this. I'm happy that I'm able to suffer some disgrace, even a little bit of disgrace, even one lash worth of disgrace because of you, my association with you. Well, What's the palette so far? We've got orange for the Holy Spirit. We've got white for sharing the good news of life in Christ. We've got blue represents operating always under the authority of God. We've got red to recognize that we suffer joyfully for Christ. Ooh, we have one more. The color green. The last color of our witness palette. Let me read it. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. When I thought of day after day, never stopping, always growing, always producing witness, I just couldn't help but think of the color green. Maybe that's because I'm a green tree. And it just, there's a certain spiritual quality to it that I resonate with, I don't know. But the truth is their witness is evergreen. It's always growing. There's a vibrancy to it. It's always producing witness to Jesus no matter what's going on, no matter where they are, no matter when they are sharing about Jesus. And they never stop doing it. Not only does this green remind us of the ever-growing freshness of our witness, but green is actually another... I tried to actually pick colors that... uh, fit within the larger Christian life, like liturgical life. There's colors that actually, you know, mean things. And uh, green represents ordinary time, the time between Easter and Advent, where it, it kind of represents the regular life stuff, where we're just following Jesus. And that sense of this is just woven into daily life, the greenness of our witness, where we are simply living as Jesus' spirit people, bearing witness to Jesus in our lives. In many ways, this final color green kind of catches up the others because we recognize that, that we're always to be filled by the Holy Spirit. We're constantly sharing about the good news of new life in Christ. 
We're operating every day under the Father's authority. And we're always ready to suffer the shame and the struggle for the name of Jesus. And I think our prayer is that our witness would always be ever green, always fresh. Well, this is the color of, 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 of Christian witnesses. This is the color palette. Um, some of the elements. We'll throw it open for some questions here. But I hope this, this, this challenges you to think through what are the components of, of the Christian witness in your daily life? What are the components we see come up again and again through Acts? Because as we walk through Acts, we will see all of these things repeated in a variety of ways over and over again. But maybe perhaps, here's my hope, that we would also begin to see them emerge in our own lives. We'd also see those colors begin to emerge as we are engaging with friends, loving our families, at work, at school. If you take one of these colors away, you're actually missing something crucial from Christian witness. But if you put them all together, you have a basic, true, core identification of Christian witness. And it's this kind of witness that really shakes the world up. That, can I say it, triggers recognition and response from everyone who sees it. Any questions? Any thoughts today? Uh, maybe there's one of them that uh, challenges you. Or maybe you have a question about something that we read in the story. But whatever it is, go ahead and shout it out. I'll repeat it for the podcast. I'm watching, but I'm getting a drink. Anyone? What, why is it so difficult for us to witness? Does anyone resonate with that question? Like, why is it difficult? Now, when you say witness, Dan, do you mean like literally to talk about Jesus? Or, or like what, what, what part of witness are you referring to? Yeah. Right. You're an evangelist of bees. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So why is it, just to repeat for thought, so why is it that we, we have a hesitancy, it seems, about talking about Jesus in particular, when in other areas of our lives, bees is the example you used, we, man, if someone makes the mistake of opening that door a crack, we're not going to let them go for a while, Right. And we're going to talk about that. And I could mention other things you could, too, in your own life that you're pretty passionate about. Why is it when we come to Jesus, we seem hesitant? Anyone want to take a stab at that before I do? Why do you think we're hesitant about that? Fear of persecution? For, say that again, Deborah. Or being slimed. You mean like slandered or... Okay, so there's resistance, spiritual resistance. Okay, yeah. So one of the reasons could be that we're afraid of persecution. One could be that there actually is spiritual resistance. There's nothing in that sense um, threatened by the fact that I'm telling you about bees, as it were. Uh, but there's something, we have actually an enemy who doesn't want us to talk about Jesus. Thanks, Deborah. Uh, others? What? Okay, so we want to avoid a stereotype of being the Bible thumper. And, and and perhaps all that that might evoke in someone. Yeah. Fear of offending or not being politically correct. Could we all bow our heads for being Canadians for a moment? <laughs> yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, right. The fear of not uh, being politically correct or offending someone. Right. What else? Have you talked to Dan about bees? Because he might assume... <laughs> Right. 
Yeah. So there's implications. We, we're not just sharing a story that's kind of nice. Ha, ha, ha. We laugh around the cooler. Isn't that great? But it's like there's implications for that person's life, right? Yeah, we're, we're not just telling them because it's nice. We actually think that, hope that, pray that they'll respond to it. Right. We feel inadequate, right? So we may not feel like, like, can I really say anything? What if they come to me with all their questions? What if I get a barrage of anger or a big, you know, thing goes on or, or like, you know, to, to Becky's response about not wanting to be a Bible thumper. Like, what if I get a barrage of, of, of hurt and, and I won't know what to do with it. So we, we aren't sure. Yeah. What else? Yeah, these are great. These are great reasons why we are hesitant with witness. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it can be quite vague. Like, are, are, is this the moment when we talk about Jesus? Anyone? Can I signal, please? Right. Yeah. And and so it can feel vague. You're not sure when. Do I, and then let's be honest. Usually it's like on the drive home. I went. Oh my goodness. I could have talked about Jesus, and I didn't, or whatever. Right. So sometimes it's confusing when we're in the moment. Like, how do we how do we do it? Yeah. Others. Mm-hmm. Fear at the beginning, try it. So open up with kind of take the courageous step, Adrian, is that what you're saying? And and as we there's some learning that takes place here as we do it. Is that No, that's right. Yeah, it doesn't need to be perfect at first. So through a very difficult experience, God used it to, as you said, loosen your tongue and enable you to tell others about Jesus in a freer way. Yeah, everyone has a connection with cancer. Right, beautiful. Thanks, Adrian. And that's really true. Personal testimony. When we share the story of what God has done in our lives, whether it's something more miraculous or whether it's just like, I was going this way. Jesus got a hold of me. I'm going this way. People don't, like, you don't argue with someone's story. And there's something powerful about sharing uh, testimony. That's, thank you, Adrian. Anyone else on the, on the why we hesitate thing? Yeah. And you do need to be wise. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, right? So there is context. Um, yep. So there needs to be wisdom there. Yep, for sure. Uh, but that doesn't mean you don't have opportunity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Hey, these are really good things. I don't know what I would add to that except to say that there is a sense in which this witness, we got to, my fear always with these things, whether we're talking about giving the last few weeks, whether we're talking about witness today, is that what we'll feel is an extra burden to be better. You know what? You should be better, right? And I actually don't think that's what the Holy Spirit's saying. The Holy Spirit's saying, come here, come here. Let me give you more of myself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And so I think the call is to come back to the Holy Spirit as a community, as a people, and let the Holy Spirit fill us. And let Him teach us. And let Him grow in us. And take those brave steps following Him. And recognize that there's a spiritual battle going on. And recognize that even in our inadequacy, the Holy Spirit can teach us. And we can learn from other Christians how to better articulate our faith. And to be aware that there are many around us, their initial reactions come out of a place of hurt because they've been hurt by Christians or by churches 
or maybe a friend of theirs was. And so that's an opportunity for us to live into and love them where they are. And as the Holy Spirit leads us, as we're attentive to him, to then speak about Jesus in a way that helps people recognize him, move toward him, pray that God's movement will occur in their lives. Um, just another maybe couple minutes here. Anyone else? Uh, any question? Or maybe on a different uh, subject? You don't think people believe in miracles anymore? Yeah. Well, you know, it, we do live in a time when um, the last couple hundred years, it's harder to believe in miracles, right? Because uh, with scientific growth and understanding, certain things that used to be regarded as miracles, we kind of go, yeah, we, we, I mean, I understand how that works, but I know somebody does, you know. And we live in a, in a kind of more of a naturalistic world. And so we're, we're responsible to, you know, develop with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to love God. And, and so there's, that's not a negative against science and technology. But we also want to recognize that we don't live in a closed system and that God is at work. God is at work both through the gifts he's given us, for example, of science and technology, as well as vibrantly at work in people's lives. And the big call of the, of the church is to say, hey, let's talk about the biggest miracle of all, the fact that God rose Jesus from the dead. And, 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 and everything else kind of flows from there. Let's not get hooked up or hung up on various things. Let's just talk about Jesus. And sometimes it takes a while for us to get there. But we want to remember that Christian witness is always white. It's always helping people come somewhere to understanding that there's new life in Christ, and we want to share it with them. And sometimes there's barriers and there's roadblocks. I think a lot of our work today as Christians, before we can even get to this, this is the goal. But a lot of times we have to help identify the barriers that stand in people's way before they can even get to a conversation about Jesus. But empowered by the Holy Spirit and operating under the authority of God, always, always, always looking for an opportunity to share about Christ, it'll happen as we love, as we are open to the Holy Spirit's leading, it'll happen. Well, thanks for engaging that. That's good. I hope that uh, fosters good conversation for you. Here's my final question. If your witness was a painted house, which colors would be the most vibrant? Of these five colors, as you think about your own life, which color is the most vibrant in your life? Now, I ask that because I think it's important to recognize that God is at work, that there's a strength there, that that. You say, you know, I've really grown in my last few years to understanding how it's through my suffering that Jesus is seen. Or I've, I, I think I'm at a place where I'm really daily laying myself down before, uh, before God and letting the Holy Spirit lead me. Or perhaps in a way that has never been true in my life before. I understand that every day I am operating under the authority of God. Well, what is it? What color is the most vibrant in your life? What color is the most vibrant in ours? And then perhaps the second question you can leave with today is, what color in your life could use a fresh coat of paint? Which the Holy Spirit's in the business of doing. What color is it that you feel like, you know, I actually don't know that much about Jesus. Like, I know some of the basics, but I've kind of almost forgotten. What's the basic story about Jesus? And, And maybe... Maybe that's a fresh coat of paint that I need the Holy Spirit to paint on me. I don't know what it is for you, but I invite you as you leave today to think, what color 
is flaming the most bright enough today so that people are seeing and, and what color needs to be refreshed in my life and to come to the Holy Spirit and let him bring that refreshment to you and to us. Well, thank God for color. Thank him for the color of witness because it's through these colors. It's through these colors that the Holy Spirit draws men and women and children to really experience the true goodness, the freedom, the forgiveness that we've been seeing and talked about, the generosity that flows out. This new life in Jesus is through the colors represented here that lives are transformed, that God comes to live in us. And so, my colorful friends, my invitation for all of us today is to go out and in the power of the Holy Spirit, paint the world with these colors. <laughs> Empowered by the Holy Spirit, make bold your strokes so that people discover the love that God has for them, the love that never stops, that never will stop, bringing new creation where there's been brokenness. Well, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. We're going to, we're going to close in a beautiful praise song, worship song, that reminds us again that at the very center of our lives, God has come to live among us, to draw us up into a life with him. And I hope that as we close today, uh, these things will be cemented in your heart, in your mind. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.